Well, come on, New Spring family. Let's put our hands together on all of our campuses today. Welcome to Legacy Week 2. So glad that you're here, especially if you're joining us because maybe you had a young person, uh, maybe a child, son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter, niece, nephew, that hung out this weekend with us for the weekend. I've actually got some of the, the weekend students that are up here on the stage with me today. So could we as a church, we're gonna do a lot of celebrating today. I hope your hands are okay clapping. Could we put our hands together and just celebrate what God's doing in the next generation, encourage these young people? If you got your Bible, I wanna invite you to go ahead and get it open. We're gonna be in 1 Timothy chapter four. I hope you guys love the word of God because the word of God is lasting. What men and women say doesn't last, but the word of God lasts forever. And so we're gonna preach some, some Bible. We've been preaching it all weekend. And these young people have been taking notes, y'all. Uh, we had to bribe them, that's okay. Uh, we, gave, we gave one group 100 bucks, another group, uh, I think they got hooked up with some uh, free registration for next year, but you should see the kind of notes these students are taking. And I just wanna challenge the adults in the room. If you've been coming to church for a minute and not been taking notes, start today. You can open up your app, New Spring app. We've got the notes preloaded right there on the New Spring app. Uh, bring your Bibles, encourage the next generation because again, in a world that has a lot of noise in it, the thing that stands the test of time is the word of God, amen? All right, so here's what I wanna do today in week two of Legacy is I wanna share with you four reasons that I am excited about the future of the church. Now, I just wanna say out loud, that's an audacious claim to make, to be excited about the future of the church. There's a lot of Eeyore takes on the future of the church, but I hope today on all of your campuses, you can see while we have reason to be excited about the future of the church, I wanna share today not just four reasons why I'm excited about the future of the church, but four reasons I'm excited about the future of New Spring Church, our church, this church. And I'm gonna start today by a very obvious and practical, exciting way, I want to show you guys my family. And uh, here's the deal. Uh, my family is one of the reasons I'm excited about the future of the church because first, I am a husband and a father in this church. I'm raising my kids here. This church is helping to point my children towards Christ. The, the small group leaders and the Kids Spring volunteers and the folks that are praying for the next generation, the, the, the tithes and the offerings that go to minister to the next generation. I am confident about the next generation at this church because I'm raising my family right here in this church. I wanna show you a picture of them just so you can see them. This is a picture of my crew. That's our fall uh, look there. And I want you to just see how cute those kids are. You see how cute those kids are? Their mama did it, y'all. Their mama did it. And I want you to specifically look at the death grip I've got on that young man right there. Can you tell I'm squeezing him? That's a smile on my face, but I'm squeezing him. You know why I'm squeezing him, parents? Because he's a cute little sinner. He is. Uh, and we all were, right? We all come out and we're cute little sinners. Nobody had to teach us to pull hair or to say no or to, or to not share. The first words we learn are no in mine. And, uh, and so they're great, but they've gotta be taught the, the ways of Christ. And man, I am so excited not just to raise my kids here at New Spring Church, but I just wanna look you in the face as a mom and dad if you're a parent or a grandparent here. I wanna look you in the face and tell you you should be excited about raising your kids and your students right here, because this church is committed not to do in church, listen to me, not to do in church just the way it's always been done, but we will do church with the timeless truth of the gospel, but we will do church in a timely manner that reaches the next generation. And we'll be okay changing the, the style and the methods and the music, and we'll lean into leveraging technology. We'll do whatever it takes to share the good news of Jesus with another generation. I'm excited about the future of the church 
because I've got a family that I'm raising here just like many of you do too. You know, and, and just practically speaking, this weekend's a special weekend at my house because a year ago today, our oldest, our firstborn, Campbell, stood on this stage and she proclaimed Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior and she was baptized. That was one year ago this weekend. And uh, it was right here. We're pumped about that and excited about that because here's why. Here's why. Not because there's anything special about her, but she's a representative of the next generation. And today on all of our campuses, after this gathering, we've already done it after the morning service, the 915 service, we're going to see a lot of young people go public in baptism on all of our campuses. And if that excites you and you're pumped up about that, would you put your hands together and cheer them on as they're making Jesus known in this generation? We salute you, students. And let me just drop a footnote right here. If you've never gone public, that's all baptism is. Jesus Christ, not New Spring Church, not Pastor Brad. Jesus Christ is the one that told us to go public in baptism. Jesus himself went public in baptism. And every single example we have in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, is a person, an individual, men and women, families, that when Jesus Christ has become Lord of their heart, they've invited him by faith into their heart, they go public for him in baptism. And so I just want to say and put it out there, it doesn't matter young or old, if today's the day that you need to sign up to get baptized, do that today. You're going to encourage men and women around you. You're going to encourage maybe your family members, maybe the older generation above you, maybe the younger generation below you. It'll give you a chance to invite maybe your coworkers or your neighbors to church and let them know where you stand with Jesus. Because you know what? They might need to go public in baptism too. So I just want to drop a footnote right here and say, if that's you today, go by our guest services area on any of our campuses, or you can click online and do this, and sign up to be baptized. And if you're on a campus today, we've got pools available. So after these young people stand in them and go public, we'll let you go public too, okay? So if today you're here and you're a grandparent or you're, a, you're, you're someone who's not done that, you can do it today too. Go public for Jesus. It's one of the good, good ways that he's given us to tell the world about what he's done in our, in our hearts and our lives. It's also one of the ways we can be welcomed into the family of God, which brings me to my second point. Everybody say point number two. I just got to make sure you're awake because we got a lot of volunteers that have been up for four straight days, okay? So we got to talk back. They're running on caffeine, Red Bull, and the Holy Ghost, y'all. Come on, somebody. Don't let them fall asleep if they're on your row, okay? All right, point number two that I'm excited about the future of the church is I know that friends become family through Calvary. It's not just an earworm. It's the truth. I know that friends become family through Calvary. First Timothy, Paul is writing this. He's an older pastor, an older father, and he's writing to a spiritual son. Watch the language he uses, church. He says this, to Timothy, look right here what's underlined, my true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how he opens up this letter that we've been leaning in in the Legacy Series. He's writing to a spiritual son. Now, he wasn't a son by birth, so he wasn't a son by, by blood, but he was a son in the spirit. Maybe you've heard this phrase. If you've heard this phrase before, wave your hand at me. How many of y'all have heard that blood is thicker than water? Wave at me. You heard that one? Yeah, we say that around here in South Carolina. If you're new to the South and somebody says, hey, blood's thicker than water, you better be ready because the fight's about to break out, okay? Blood's thicker than water. But what I can tell you, people of God, is that we learned something in the church that spirit is thicker than blood and that there is a family of God that is united because of the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit that he gives us that can bring people that aren't alike together. And that's exactly the story we see with Paul and Timothy. 
Paul was born a Jew. Timothy, he wasn't, he was, he was born part Jew, part Greek. You can find that out in the scripture. But Paul became his spiritual father. Now we don't know if it's because his dad was gone. We don't know if it was because his dad had passed away. Or maybe his dad didn't care about him following the ways of Jesus. Maybe his father was more of an Athena guy or a Zeus guy. But Paul became a spiritual father to him. And when he writes this letter to Timothy, he, he addresses him as a son. I want us to cast our minds for a moment to the cross. How many of you remember on the cross, Jesus spoke some words? And one of the moments that he speaks from the cross, he's hanging on the cross as he looks at his friend, John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John, the one who wrote uh, the letters of John, the one who wrote the book of Revelation. And when he speaks to John, he says something on the cross. He says, John, behold your mother. He was talking to Mary. And then he looks at his mother Mary and he says, Mary, behold your son. And so one of the things that I want us to grasp is friends, they were friends up to that point, become family through Calvary. That there's something that is incredible and supernatural that occurs in the family of God around the things of God. And Jesus, at the center of our lives, will give you a family. So maybe you come from a, a family that's not really existent. Maybe you come from a family that doesn't follow the Lord. Maybe you don't really have parents that are following. Maybe you come from all kinds of dysfunction. Listen, welcome to the family of God. Friends become family through Calvary. Just let me chase a rabbit right here because this is important. One of the things that I want to say to you specifically is if you've been looking for community, Community is a buzzword, especially I felt like it was a buzzword when I was in college as a young adult. I feel like a lot of people in the earth are looking for churches that provide good community. How many of y'all have heard that before? Looking for a church with good community. That's awesome. I just wanna say though, you'll never find the church with good community by aiming at community. Watch this, I'm going somewhere. Community isn't arrived at by aiming at it. Community is a byproduct of co-laboring. You should write that down. Community is a byproduct of co-laboring. When you start locking arms with men and women, young and old, and you share a mission together, all of a sudden you do that for a couple of months, a couple of years, and you're gonna look to your right and left and realize I've got brothers and sisters here. That I found them, not because I was looking for them, but because we agreed that this thing we were working on was bigger than then whatever my selfish desires or my selfish ambitions were, I put those aside. I took up this bigger, greater, transcendent thing. And, and the next thing you know, I look to my right and left and I have family, people that I love, people that will weep with me, people that I can call at 3 a.m. and they could show up in the middle of the night if I was in a 911 crisis moment. You see, friends become family through Calvary. That's not just clean preaching, that's my story. The people that stood with me and my wife on our wedding day they were, they were family members that I'd met through Calvary. The people that, that are in my home group or I'm raising my kids with, they're, they're family, not, not by natural birth, but by supernatural birth. And I want you, especially if you've relocated to the area, especially if you've, if you've been struggling through the last couple of years to find good community in this you know, socially awkward season we've been in, I want you to, to activate this truth today. Potentially, you need to, Spend the invitational time of this service going by the guest services area and signing up to get involved in serving. Some of you may have put it on the shelf because you had a baby or maybe you put it on the shelf because, you know, let's be honest, COVID was awkward. This whole season's been awkward. But one of the things that I know is that you cannot do life alone. And if you will say yes to this truth that friends become family through Calvary, you're gonna be 
welcomed in. You're going to find friendships. You're not going to be alone. And listen, this is, this is where the preaching has to stop and the activation has to begin. It's on you. Friends become family through Calvary. I, I just want to say and point this out. Um, in the UK right now, you can Google this, just a few months back, they actually appointed a minister of loneliness over in Great Britain. They saw so many people depressed, so many people dealing with loneliness, that they actually appointed a governmental position called the minister of loneliness to solve the problem. And, and you know what? I got nothing but love for them identifying that there was a need, but the truth is the society we live in can't solve loneliness, but the church can. The gospel does. And so I just want to encourage us. There's people that are lonely in your cul-de-sac, in your apartment complex, in your neighborhoods. You go to school with students. You go to school with people that are lonely. And, and they don't need somebody to come up with a, a raz, razzy plan that's sparkly and shiny. They just need somebody to invite them in to do something together. I learned this when I went on the mission field for the very first time with New Spring Church. I was a youth pastor 15 years ago. I got, I got sent over on a mission trip with a bunch of nurses and doctors to Kenya. I didn't know anybody on the trip. I did not go over there to find community. But after serving for 10 days over in Kenya and loving on um, the people there, I came back and I had a whole brand new family because we co-labored together. You see, again, community is a byproduct of co-laboring. Friends become family through Calvary. That's point number two today. The third reason that I'm excited about the future of the church, if you're with me, say, I'm here. All right, the third reason I'm excited about the future of the church is because of this. I know that the God of the Bible, he's a generational God and he's gonna create a generational people. I know that. The God of the Bible is a generational God and he's gonna create a generational people. How do I know that? Well, that's the way God, from the very first time he shares his name, identifies himself. When he shares his name with Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter three, watch the way God self-discloses his identity. Let's read it together. Exodus chapter three, verse 14. God says to Moses, I am who I am, the great I am, right? I am who I am. And he said to Moses, say then to this people of Israel, I am has sent you, sent me to you. Okay, so Moses was in the wilderness. He was shepherding sheep. God calls him from a burning bush. And Moses is like, hey, if I go, who am I gonna tell him sent me? And he says right here, he says, I am sent, sent you. But he doesn't just stop there after revealing his name. Watch how he, he goes on to describe his name in verse 15. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Now look at what's in bold right here. This is my name for a week? No. This is my name for a year? No. This is my name throughout the Old Testament? No. He says what, church? He says, this is my name forever. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So what we have here is when God raises his hand and self-identifies, says, here's who Yahweh is. Here's who the God of the scriptures is. I am a God of fathers. I'm a God of grandfathers and fathers and grandsons. I'm a God of grandmothers and mothers and granddaughters. And so one of the truths of the scripture and the truths that we'll experience here in a healthy church is that you should be able to look around your auditorium today. So I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do so. And you ought to be able to identify three generations of people in the auditorium today. 
You ought to be able to see some folks in this auditorium with that crown of righteousness, a.k.a. gray hairs. Where's all my gray-headed folks at? Come on, wave at me. Yeah, come on. We celebrate you. That's awesome. I got a little bit of gray coming into my beard. That's why I keep it really tight on the sides over here, y'all, because it's coming in. Uh, that cute young sinner's doing that to me. Okay. Um, but you also ought to be able to look around and you ought to be able to see some, some baby faces like some of these young people up on stage. You ought to be able to see some folks that they're, they're just getting introduced to that, that, that razor blade, right? They're just getting introduced to being an adult. You ought to be able to look around and you ought to be able to see these little pitter-pattering feet of kids spring and middle schoolers. And we ought to be able to see at least three generations in our church. That's a mark of a healthy church. And I wanted to say we've got a value on the wall in all of our atriums. It's on our website. We've got a value that we teach you about in our, our Connect classes if you, if you join our church. And that's one of our five family values. It's, it's, it's important to us. It ballasts us. And that value is that we will be a church that pursues uncommon unity. Inside of that value is that we aim at being a multi-generational church. We want to be a church not just for college kids or not just for senior adults. We, we believe that the God that we serve and the God that we declare and the God that we sing to, he is right on time in every generation. We wanna be a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church. We're gonna pursue uncommon unity. And that's rare air, by the way, uh, in the church world, but I just want you to know that's the church you're sitting in. So if you're relocating to the area or you're new with us, welcome to New Spring. We believe that's who the Bible teaches God is, and so we will make efforts to be that kind of a people. If you're with me, say amen. amen. All right? And let me also point this out. Inside of this multi-generational church, I also know what's at stake if we don't do this. The Bible says this in Judges chapter two. Read this with me. Judges chapter two, this gives me a cold chill down my spine every time I read it. And all of that generation, what generation is he talking about? The generation of Joshua and the generation of Moses. And all of that generation also were gathered to their fathers. That's just, that's just Bible talk for they died. All right, they were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation. Say another generation. Another generation that what? After them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Leave that scripture up there for just a moment. This scripture, when I get to Judges 2 every single time, it scares me in a holy kind of way. Because you know what this is about? This is about a people who had been freed from slavery in Egypt. I mean, it wasn't just a fantasy we've read about, friends. This really happened. God delivered a people through powerful plagues, through the leadership of just ordinary man Moses and his, and his brother Aaron, and he walks them through the Red Sea. Remember the story? He parts the Red Sea, creates a highway through an, an ocean, walks millions of people through it, and then when the army of Pharaoh pursues them, he collapses on them. He, he feeds them for 40 years in the wilderness. Back before Chick-fil-A was a thing, y'all, he's dropping bread from heaven for 40 years. He's protecting them with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. He's providing doves that would come and eat them. He provided water for them for 40 years. Moses goes to be with the Lord and another generation comes up, the generation of Joshua. They walk not just through the wilderness, but now they're entering into the promised land. They part the Jordan River. God does a supernatural miracle again to remind them, I'm still with you. They walk into the promised land and they see an impenetrable, undefeated city called Jericho. 
And did, did God defeat Jericho with battering rams and siege walls? No, how did he do it, church? He did it in a supernatural miracle as worshipers and people marched around the city and gave a shout for the Lord and for Joshua and the walls of this undefeated city came falling down. They walk into homes that they did not build. The Bible says that they ate from vineyards that they did not plant, that they, they were given the promised land. Listen to me. And then Judges chapter two, verse 10 was written. And it scares me to death because I'm looking at that, that group of people and a little bit of me honestly wants to be condemning. What were y'all doing? What were y'all doing? Why, why did you forget about all the miracles of God? How would, you, how would you ever do that? I mean, you had the 12 stones that were stacked up. You could have walked anybody out every single day and showed it to them. But then I remember just how easy it is for me to keep my mouth shut about the goodness of God in our culture today. And all of a sudden, I'll reserve my judgment towards them. And instead, I'll challenge you and I challenge me. We've gotta open our mouths about the good news of Jesus. Amen, New Spring Church. We've gotta tell the next generation we got to tell the generation about how Jesus has saved us. Uh, I want to give you a really practical way to do this, okay? This is something that my family has started doing and we've been doing for years and it is so helpful. We have a family night where we eat a family meal, okay? Friday night, if you're around our house, you're going to see this happens the majority of weekends, okay? Uh, unless we're at a wedding or something like that. We have a family meal together and we celebrate communion at the end of that meal. I lead my family in it and you one of the reasons we do this is so that our kids, eight, six, and three, know the stories of how Jesus Christ saved their daddy and their mommy. That there's nothing special about me. I'm a, I was born a cute little sinner too, okay, except I probably didn't have the cute label, all right? And until I met Jesus Christ, I, I didn't know any better. Until he saved me, I didn't know any better. And if you come to my house to eat dinner with my kids, guess what you get to tell my kids at the end of that meal? You get to tell my kids how Jesus Christ changed your life. And so we've had friends from this church over, their grandparents have been there, we've had all kinds of people over and at the end of the meal, I, I, I turn to them and I say, hey, would you tell my son and my daughter uh, and my daughters how Jesus has saved you? What he did, when, we, when was it the first time that you heard about the goodness and the forgiveness of Jesus? And it's been incredible to hear and it builds faith in the next generation. And I just wanna say to you, mom, dad, we will do everything we can to supplement the discipleship of your sons and daughters. We'll do everything we can to help them. But the reality is, if your kids have perfect attendance at New Spring Church this year, two hours, let's just say two hours for 52 weeks, that's 104 hours this year, and we'll do everything we can to tell them the good news of Jesus. But in your house, they're gonna have like 166, 168 hours this week. So we can't overcome those numbers as a church. You and your spouse or your, 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 your loved ones have to take up the mantle of being the priority discipler of your kids. Mom and dad, we're gonna stand before God on how we're telling them about Jesus Christ, amen? And I know you're the choir, I'm preaching to the choir, but we just wanna come around you and say, we will help you, we're, we're doing everything we can to partner with you in Kids Spring and Infuse, but man, let's do this together, church, because God is a generational God who creates a generational people. If you're with me, say amen. All right, my fourth and final point today is very simply this. I know the power of an older generation speaking life and creating opportunities for the next generation. The fourth reason that I'm excited about the future of the church is that I don't just see it in scripture, I see it in life when an older generation 
calls out a younger generation and gives them an opportunity. It's a powerful, powerful thing. I wanna give you an acronym, okay? Uh, the acronym is COACH, C-O-A-C-H, okay? COACH, call out and call higher, all right? Call out and call higher. That's our job. If there's a generation behind you on your campus, in your workplace, in your life, then your job from Scripture is to look at that next generation or that generation two below you, and our job is to call them out and call them higher. We're supposed to coach them up. And that's what Paul did for Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, a very famous passage, but let's look at this together. 1 Timothy 4, we'll pick it up in verse 11. Paul writes to Timothy, and he tells him this. He says, I want you to command and teach these things, Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youth. He was a young man. But instead, I want you to set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Here's the translation. You don't have to wait till you graduate. You don't have to wait till you get a job. You don't have to wait till you get a degree. You can do it now, young person. And our job is to call you out and call you higher. Paul did that for Timothy. Set an example. And then he wrote these words. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. That's what we're doing right here. To exhortation, that's, that's preaching. Devote yourself to preaching. Be, be a part of the gatherings when the preaching is happening. It's gonna encourage you. Devote yourself to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have. Hey, young person in the room, look at me, please. Look at me right in the whites of my eyes. You've been given a gift in Christ. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. Let's use those gifts Let's, let's build the church. Let's come together arm in arm and let's, let's co-labor and, and we'll see community happen around us as we build those gifts. That's what Paul's writing here. He says, don't neglect the gift that you've been given, which is, was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And then he goes on to say, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, Timothy, you're gonna save both yourself, listen to this, by doing this, you're gonna experience sanctification yourself and your hearers. So you see, Timothy was a, a young leader in the church. He was about the age of the folks that are up here on stage. He was about y'all's age. He was your age. He was the age of many of our students. And, and he was not scared to make himself available. And so one of the things I just wanna to say to the young people in our church, all you guys on stage and all you guys that are sitting on our campuses today, is that we as a church do not desire to do ministry for you. We're not gonna do ministry for you. But instead, we're gonna do ministry with you. We wanna invite you into doing ministry with us, to serve along with us, to pray along with us, to, to pursue an everyday relationship with God with us. We don't wanna just do ministry for you. There's gonna come a moment in time like Paul to Timothy where he says, I wanna call you out and I wanna call you higher. I want you to come and do ministry with us. And so one of the reasons if you're on a campus today that's got a whole bunch of kids in your auditorium, one of the reasons that we uh, don't have on all of our campuses a full money of volunteers in KidSpring today is because a lot of our KidSpring volunteers are actually our students in the student ministry. And so if you see kids in your auditorium, you need to know that's an opportunity to serve because all these young people, they've been the ones that have been carrying the water on Sunday mornings for the seven and eight and nine and 10 year olds. They've been doing it. I just wanna put our hands together real quick and celebrate our KidSpring volunteers that have been loving on the next generation. 
So, you know, I really got worked by this. It wasn't over this weekend, but it was actually way back in January. And if you've been a part of New Spring Church for the last couple of years, we always do something in January called 21 Days of Prayer. If you've done 21 Days of Prayer, wave your hand at me. Yeah, we get here at 6 a.m., y'all, and we start the year off for 21 straight days seeking the Lord and praying right in all of our auditoriums. We do it on all of our campuses. It's awesome. And uh, on this particular cold morning in January, I'm actually sitting right here, right, right here below you, Trevor, where you are. And uh, I was just in the service, and one of our other lead pastors, one of our elders, Michael Mulliken, um, the professor, was up here, and he was leading us that morning. And if you were here that morning, he, he asked us, he prompted us to pull out a notes app or to open up our journal, and he was encouraging us that morning by asking us a question. He said, I want you just to ask a question of God and let him just remind you of all that he's been doing in your life throughout the last several years. He said, ask God, who has he used to get you to where you are today? And so maybe that's a, an activation point for you today. Open up your notes app, pull out your journal. Who has God used in your life to get you to where you are today? And so that particular morning in January, I start off and I write down my parents' name, Tom and Marie. Love my mom and dad. I'm so grateful for them. Blessed to, to be raised in a home that pointed me to Jesus. Not perfect people, for sure, not perfect people. But they pointed me to Jesus. Then I wrote the, the pastor who was preaching on the Sunday that, that I heard the gospel for the very first time as a nine-year-old. I wrote, his name's Rich Liner, wrote his name down. And then after that, I started writing down all the people that God had used through the years and through that process, I end up writing down the name of, of a guy named Coach Gillum. Now, you don't know Coach Gillum, but I got a picture. I'll introduce you to Coach Gillum. This is him right here. Uh, and uh, through this, I probably had 35, 40 names down, but this is Coach. This was actually last weekend. Uh, that's his wife, Miss Maggie, and, uh, and Coach. Coach was my sixth grade PE teacher. Shout out to all the uh, teachers in the room. Uh, and at Flat Rock Middle School, I got to know Coach Gillum, sixth grade PE teacher. I spent a lot of, a lot of my favorite class was PE in the sixth grade. Uh, it was probably my favorite class in the 12th grade too. But anyway, uh, Coach would later become my middle school basketball coach. All right. I played for him at Flat Rock. And uh, what's really cool is that, you know, Coach and I kept a relationship through years. And, uh, and he, was, he was a Duke fan like I was growing up in North Carolina, all you South Carolina people. We didn't really have football teams we're cheering for up in the state of North Carolina, but we do have basketball teams. So um, like you pick a, a football team down here, we always had a basketball team. I was a Duke Blue Devil fan, and Coach was a Duke Blue Devil fan, so it was awesome. Uh, I knew he loved um, Mrs., uh, at the time, Mrs. Bonnet, because she was a Chapel Hill, UNC Tar Hill graduate. And I knew, okay, a couple of those are around here too. I knew that it was love when they met because Coach started cheering for the Tar Heels. I, I think I've even seen some pictures on Facebook of him wearing UNC colors, which is just, you don't do that as a Duke basketball fan. Uh, they've been married now 24 years. I was at their wedding. Uh, Mrs. Bonnet was my eighth grade social studies teacher, small town, y'all. She was my eighth grade social studies teacher, and Coach was my middle school basketball coach. Now, what, okay, Brad, why are you doing all that? Well, you see, it was Coach who asked me for the very first time that I can recall, and in January when I'm sitting in this room and Michael Mulliken's saying, hey, remember all the people that have, have served uh, in your story that have gotten you to where you are. It was Coach in the seventh grade who came to me in the fall of that year and said, hey, Coop, 
I think you're ready to maybe share at the FCA huddle at the, at the, at the 730 gathering on a Thursday morning. I want, maybe, maybe you want to share something from the Word. And every Thursday morning at Fly Rock Middle School at 7.30 in the library, we had FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes at our school. I was in the seventh grade. Up until this point, I had gone to FCA huddle, but I had not opened my mouth or opened my Bible ever anywhere to share anything. And when he asked me that, I can remember having that lump in my throat like, oh my gosh, but also knowing that this was exactly what I needed to do. That this was, this was the Lord. I remember staying up. And, and asking the Lord, God, give me something to encourage my friends. Give me something to encourage my school. It was a 10-minute little mini-sermon, y'all. I really have no idea what I said. But I remember going through the process of, of getting ready to share and encourage my school. And, and, you know, if you've ever been to one of these things at a school, you can either have like eight kids show up or 200 kids show up. It all depended not on who was, who was preaching that morning. It had a Really, it depended on if there was Krispy Kreme donuts or some Chick-fil-A biscuits or something, okay? I think we had Hardy's biscuits that morning, so we had a, a decent crowd. And, uh, and so I was thinking about that back in January, about how I had a seventh grade coach. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't my youth pastor. He was just wearing ministry camouflage in my everyday life as a young person. And he spoke to me and he called me out and called me higher in that moment. And now, y'all, I've spent the better part of my life preaching sermons. I've preached thousands of sermons. This is what I do for a living. But somebody had to ask me in the seventh grade uh, to be willing to do that. Now, what's really cool for all of you guys is that I texted Coach this week to see if he was available and he's in the auditorium with us right now. Would you guys welcome Coach Bruce Gillum and Miss Maggie right here, their son, Reed. <laughs> Coach, this is your Bible. And so um, I want you to know I'm so grateful. And I don't want to cry all over you, but I'm so grateful. I know he just retired. He just finished being a, uh, an educator. He's now got to decide if he's going to keep working or not. Um, but 30 years of serving in, in a public school setting, coaching middle school basketballers, putting up with all of us middle schoolers. And, um, you know, I know you probably wanted to win all the games, but I want you to know in the, in the scheme of eternity, You've made a difference because you invited a seventh grader to open this up and to share it for 10 minutes with a bunch of middle schoolers at Flat Rock Middle School. So I love you. I Thank appreciate you, coach. you, coach. Thanks, coach. I texted coach at 3.30 in the morning this week because God woke me up and, and uh, I knew I was going to share this story. I just shot him a text out of nowhere and he, he said that he had been up wrestling with the Lord over something and this was a right on time sign from God. Uh, and so he, he drove down from North Carolina this morning. And uh, I know I've got a lot of teammates, former teammates coach that are watching from all over. I, I shot a text out and, and so they're going to be excited to have seen you and I know that they'll probably shoot you a text later. But here's the bottom line, church. That's happening not just 20 some odd years ago at a middle school. That's happening right here every single day. It's happening in this generation. And so I want to invite all the students on all of our campuses to their feet. Um, all the folks that have made their way to the weekend, the folks here on stage, would you guys just stand with me for a moment? Um, students in the room, maybe you didn't attend the weekend, but you're here. You're a middle schooler, you're a high schooler. And I want to put a picture in your mind. It's one that you know. If you've ever been to a ball game or you've been to a college game this fall, you're going to notice something. You're going to notice right away that there are a group of people, just like these young people in the room today, that when you show up at the game, 
you might want to sit down the whole time, but they're going to be doing exactly what these students are doing right now. They're going to be standing up. And you will have found yourself in, in and around the student section. And I know, I've been to enough ball games to see it. There are people that get really, really upset with the students that stand the whole time. Have you seen this? Have you seen this, folks? Come on, students, sit down. I can't see the game. And so there's always this animosity between the older generation and the younger generation when it comes to the student section. But I just want to look at all of our students in the eyes and tell you that's not going to be this church. We're not going to give you animosity as an older generation. We're going to cheer you on. And there's another way to approach student section. And uh, you've probably seen this, t- this one as well. You go to a ball game, the place is packed. And all of a sudden, there's some people that start clapping their hands and doing some cheers. There's some people that start shouting. And there's some people that start doing the wave. And one of the things that has always marked our church is this statement. I want you to write it down. It's the one we'll end on today. The wave starts in the student section. Doesn't matter what team you pull for. Doesn't matter young or old. If the wave is going to begin, can I let you know, it's not going to be the boosters club that starts it. It's going to be the student section. It's not going to be the folks in the box eating their ham sandwiches, drinking their Coca-Colas and their Coca-Cola beers. It's going to be the student section. And I want you to know that every great revival and awakening that the history books have ever written about in the church haven't started with the 64-year-olds and the 72-year-olds and the 48-year-olds and the 39-year-olds. It started when the young people get fired up for Jesus Christ and take him seriously and everybody else follows your lead. So I just want to say on behalf of the generations above you students that we're pulling for you that we will stand with you, that we will encourage you. We will give towards your ministry to reach your schools and your families. And that the wave starts in the student section. So if you don't mind, would you stand to your feet if you say, yep, that's me, I'm gonna join them. And if you've got a young person near you, could you put your hand on their shoulder and in an act of support that says they're not gonna stand alone, that we are a multi-generational church and we believe that God is creating a multi-generational move and the wave does start in the student section. Psalm 71, 17, and 18 speaks perfectly to this. Put your eyes on this. Oh God, from my youth you've taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds, David wrote. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, don't forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. One of the graces on King David's life was he was introduced to Jesus, Yahweh, at a young age. And it's a grace on your life to not just know him when you're young, but to still know him when you're old. And we're gonna help you not just be a follower of Jesus when you're 14 and 12 and 11 and 18. We're gonna help you be a follower of Jesus when you're 81. And you're gonna be up here setting the stage for worship and serving the kids in Kids Spring and going out and being the seventh grade middle school basketball coach who invites a young man to open up their Bible and share what God's done in their life with their friends. It's your turn. We're not doing ministry for you. We're gonna do ministry with you. So let's pray for this generation before we transition into a time of baptism. Father God, I thank you for all the rich things that we've gotten to experience and share over the last several days in our church. We thank you for the families that are here to celebrate a young man or a young woman standing in the baptism waters and declaring Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. We thank you for the Kids Spring ministry that serves all of our fifth graders and below 
We thank you that they don't just make content that serves this house, but literally this month, 100 plus countries will download our KidSpring content and use it all over the world. They'll do it for free because you've, you've created a church right here, your body, that is making things to help young people understand Jesus on their level, not just for the kids of South Carolina, but for the kids of the nations. And so, Lord, we pray that you continue to bless that. And, Lord, we say yes. We say yes to preaching the good news of Jesus to not just this generation, but the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. We say yes to taking the next generation out to that pile of stones and saying, let me tell you about what God has done in my life and how he has saved me and how he has rescued me from slavery. Lord, show us how to open our mouths as moms and dads and grandparents and, and, and college students so we might raise up another generation to be formed in the good news of Jesus Christ. We love you. and We ask that you would do this for your glory, our joy, and the world's good in Christ's name. And if you believe that, would you put your hands together and would you open your mouth and say amen. 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 amen.